Welcome to the Silica Slopes Conversations. We're here with David Smith, CEO of Cotopaxi. Oh, wait. Sorry, I got Glad that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Davis Bell, CEO of Canopy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Very good, thank you. There was a funny LinkedIn exchange on that, so yeah, I wasn't I mean, being rude. Twice a week, someone asked me if I'm Davis Smith, so I'm just going to start going with it. Yeah, well, you're both cool. Yeah, well, one of us is a little cooler than the other, but <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, very cool. All right, well, thank you for uh, taking the time yeah, to be here today. And thank you guys all for coming. As you know, there will be uh, a couple of questions at the end, so um, if we don't cover what you'd like to ask, then we'll open it up for Q&A at the end there. All right, so um, tell us a little bit about Canopy, and then we'll jump in after that. Yeah, so Canopy is, and am I, you tell me where, just where, wherever. Uh, okay, people, give the people what they want. Uh, so Canopy is um, a software company. We're based in Draper and been around since 2014. And our primary uh, product and business is making practice management software for accounting firms. So CPA firms use our software to run their business effectively. And it's uh, tax season right now, right? It's starting to be tax season, which is a really depressing time at Canopy because it means our software gets used a lot, which is great, but it means that no one will return our phone calls when we're trying to sell them stuff. So it's kind of a, you know, kind of a, a double-edged sword. Yeah. And then on April 16th? April 16th, our, we, we all realized that we're not actually going out of business and that people want to buy our stuff and, and uh, our AEs kind of start to enliven and things start getting going, going again. Although usually that's when accountants take vacation. So it takes a couple of weeks and, and things thaw out and, and get going again. Very cool. And it's a big market, right? There's a lot of uh, people crunching numbers and doing taxes. And yeah, I mean, there's... I should know the number. I think there's like 1.4 million CPAs or accounting and tax professionals. They're not all CPAs, but just in the U.S. So there's tons and tons of people and lots of really big companies that do what we do that we're trying to displace. Very cool. Yeah, there, it's kind of funny that there's you know 1.4 million people that consciously decided they wanted <laughs> to do taxes. There, we love accountants, obviously. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's some people that just personality type it's what they're built for you know they love numbers and they love kind of you know working with their clients and helping them not go to jail so yeah very good all right so you guys recently raised a series bb correct mm -hmm. yeah um give us a little bit of uh, backstory on that what does bb mean and how does it relate to kind of what you guys have gone through the last couple of years sure so uh it's kind of funny the funding round naming system is totally made up. And I don't know if people realize that, but it is completely made up. And there, But there's some broad industry kind of guidelines about how big of a company you would be if you were raising a seed or an A or a B. And so, you know, we've tried to kind of follow that to some degree. But it's called a BB because Canopy had done a B back in the day. And um, and so when I came on, we kind of reset things, right? And so we did an AA and then a BB, and we called it a B because it just the stage of the company and the size of the round more or less kind of corresponded to what you would see for a B. So as far as what it means for the company, I mean, it's huge. It it kind of you know comes at the tail end of you know two and a half years since I've kind of been there with a, a rel you know a new team and represents, I think, the culmination of all those efforts of getting us where we want to go. So it's 
huge and fantastic and amazing for us. We're super stoked. Yeah, congrats on that. And yeah, you, uh, you were on the podcast fairly you know, a couple of weeks, I believe, after you yeah. took the role. Um, you never called me again. I thought we did great, and then I, I never heard from you again. You did again. do great, yeah. but I knew you were busy. <laughs> and, uh, I thought we had wanna, something, but yeah, we, we do. We do. Um, so there was some trials and tribulations, and you know what you're getting into, right? Yeah. Um, what systems and processes did you did you place within the company, and then also kind of just in your own mind, of uh, how you were going to do this from a culture perspective, from a business perspective, investor perspective, partner perspective? How did you kind of eat the elephant, yeah, one bite at a time? Well, I think so. Just to give a little backstory, so um, as I mentioned, Canopy was founded in 2014. And, you know, for a while there was raising a lot of money and everything was up and to the right and then kind of hit some snags, right? And that resulted in a really tough year in 2019 that resulted in about two-thirds of the company getting laid off and, you know, it was public and in the press and it was just a really hard time. And, and so I kind of came on at the very tail end of that, right, at a point where... Um, you know, we, we had, I think at our peak, we were about 300 people. And by that point it was about a hundred people. And, you know, I kind of walked in the door a week or two after that second layoff, which was just a really hard time as you can imagine. Um, and so I think, you know, looking at it and, you know, it is an elephant, right? You're sort of like, all right, I've, I've got some employees who I'm new to them. They don't know me. And they're also, you know, feeling bumped, right? And they're sad. And they've seen a bunch of their colleagues, you know, get let go. And they're wondering, is this a real business? Is it going to survive? Am I an idiot for staying here? And so I, and then there's this strategic question around like, you know, there were a couple different products in the mix. And, um, you know, what's the right one that's going to kind of lead you to the promised land? And then there's... Um, fundraising stuff, right? Because, you know, most companies here burn cash, right? venture back cap companies, and we were no exception. And, um, you know, had money in the bank, but you burn, and it's not going to last forever. So I think those were really kind of the three main things. Um, and I, I will say the, the, the most fortunate thing was there was a super talented team in place that I, you know, I didn't come in and clean house and bring in a bunch of people like... I was kind of brought in and already we had super talented people at the executive level and management level and individual contributor level. So, you know, they knew a lot of stuff that I didn't. So I would say the biggest thing probably was I went in and just listened a lot because I just wasn't expert on it, right? And, and many of them were. But so I thought about really those three buckets, right? Like strategy, what's the right product? What market are we going after? Um, how do we go raise money at some point? And then first and foremost, how do we get these employees believing in what we're telling them and excited about what they're doing? And um, so that was probably where I put my focus first. We, I met with every single employee, a lot of emotion and even some anger about you know, what had happened and how things were going and um, you know, lots of straight up questions of like, why on earth should I stay here? Um, and, you know, you just get through it, right? And I think the, the thing that I promised was just total transparency. Like, if good, bad, and ugly, like, I'm going to come in and, and learn what's going on, and I'm going to tell all of you that. Like, I'm not just telling my board. I'm not just telling you my executive team. 
I'm going to do an assessment in the first couple of weeks, and I'm going to come to you guys, and I'm going to say, this is what's great, and this is what's got to change, and these are the risks. And I did that within, I can't remember, 30 days or something. And, you know, I think it was a little bracing for people to be like, oh, wow, like, you know, to hear from your CEO, like, these are, if we don't fix these, they'll kill us, <laughs> you know, because normally it's kind of the happy, shiny dance. Um, but, you know, it, it had the effect of earning their trust at a minimum. And we did have kind of a lot of attrition. Like, people were like, nah, you know, like either, I don't know, they didn't like me or they'd just been through too much or didn't believe, but they bailed. Um, but the core, you know, people, like, you know, the leadership, management, and core individual contributors, they're all still around and, and they bought in. So then we just, I listened mostly on the strategy because I was the new guy and I had never worked in, in the segment before. Um, and then funding was where I started kind of pitching in, but that, that took a while to figure out. Yeah, not uh, an easy job, but um, it sounds like you kind of went the old fashioned way and just communicated and listened for a while. Um, so after that 30 days, um, what was the picture in your mind uh, as to next steps yeah. as it relates to company culture? You'd listened, you'd yeah. communicated, what do you do then? So as it relates to culture, I think, I mean, I will say Canopy, I think, had a really great culture in most ways when I showed up. Like, you know, there's tons of respect and empathy. It was a good place to work, right? There was no, like, toxic jerks around. Like, there, it was, you know, not none of that. So that was a really great thing to kind of inherit. Um, I think where I wanted to really double down was on clarity around, like, this is what we're going to do. This is, and, and transparency around, like, this is the good, bad, and the ugly. Like, you know, and, and I'm, I'm a transparent person by my nature, but I think I was probably, like, over the top, just given the context, right? And I just felt like people needed that, right? And so we, and one of the big things we did pretty early on, I can't remember exactly when, but we, we reset, we did new values, right? They had had a set of values, and, and we completely reset them. We picked three. Um, and we made a big deal out of it. Like a lot, we didn't want them to be just stuff that was written on a wall on a stupid poster somewhere. But we wanted them to 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 be meaningful. We wanted people to know what they were, live by them, embody them. And then we did, you know, we we anchor our recognition to that, and you know, we talk about them a lot. So I think from a cultural perspective, it was just a lot about creating new values, getting people on board with those, and then just over the top transparency, like this is the bad stuff that happened this month. Um, this is the good stuff that happened, but there was bad stuff that happened. And these are the risks, and, you know, we're getting kicked in the teeth over here. And, you know, people are grown-ups, and they like that. <laughs> you know, people are always nervous to do it, but they like it, and, and they, you know, responded well to it. And if that was only the... the main job of a CEO, you'd probably be happy, but you also have to um, <laughs> worry about like product sure, and uh, the board yeah. and investors. So after the company culture listening, um, where did you then kind of start to focus your efforts? Yeah. Well, so I, it was kind of a dual track with the culture, getting people bought in. When, when I came in, we did a, an, an employee MPS survey, which I'm a huge believer in that measure for employees and not just customers. And it, you know, it was a one, right? Like it was really, really low. And so we wanted a benchmark and we set to work to getting that up, right? And that just 
ticked up is now 79, which we're super proud of, and I think is very high. But the you know the the dual the other the second track was this strategy question because Canopy had effectively three different products, and one was like the super high um, investment product called tax preparation, and the idea there was, hey, we're going to build this tax preparation in the cloud product. Um, which is an awesome idea and is still dominated by these really old school incumbents. It's on-prem software, um, but it was it's really hard to build because you got to build software, which is tough, but then you've got to build the U.S. tax code in software logic. So we had like, I think, 70 or so full-time accountants working at Canopy on this product, and we just ultimately concluded like we can't do that right now. As, as great of an idea as it, it's just too expensive. So then we had this other product, which is actually where most of our customers were, uh, which helped people resolve kind of issues with the IRS. And that was just an okay business. It had some challenges, frankly, and churn and those kinds of things. But in being out in the marketplace for five or so years, we learned about this practice management opportunity, which, and, and you know, you just, we had all these people coming to us for demos and we're saying, rescue me from these you know, 40-year-old software products. And so we kind of took the bones of this tax resolution thing and then just invested super heavily in R&D um, to, to build this thing out and to try to move up market a little bit. So that's kind of what we've been doing, which is really expensive and you burn a lot of cash doing it, but it's, you know, started to pay off. So it, 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 the fascinating thing to me was the business turned around like relatively quickly in terms of we brought churn, churn way down, uh, we started growing again because for a while we weren't growing, and all of our metrics started to tick up, right? The challenge was, as you mentioned, your biggest job when you're a CEO of a venture-backed startup is to raise money because you're burning cash every month. And it, the, the big challenge was going out in the marketplace and taking these metrics that were starting to look really good but changing people's minds because they had this perception given like everything that had happened that was like they write you off, right? And and you know, you're you're sort of like the person with a bankruptcy or two. We were not bankrupt, but I'm just using an analogy that like trying to get a loan, right? And and venture is such a momentum driven business that the minute you're kind of off the track, it's really, really hard. And people would take my call because they'll always love the market opportunity. Um, and I think they were curious, um, but I didn't get anywhere for a while with them. So what's that like being um, told no? Um, it reminded me of dating, honestly. It just brought me back to my college days. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it seems like that turned out fine for you, though. Because um, when you, you don't want to, uh, when you need a loan, um, you know, like, the blood's met the water, right? And people, sure. whether they're VCs, sophisticated or not, they're like, if you need a loan, where's yeah. the dumpster fire? Right. Right? Um, so maybe you weren't coming from a position of strength there, um, but obviously it's worked out. So what are the what are some of the traits that you exhibited in just like overcoming the, the challenges of that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's the same as almost anything where, you know, the, so number one, you hear no, and the the lizard brain reaction is like anger, right? And you and and fear, right? You're mad at the person for not like doing what you want them to do, and you're afraid that like you're screwed, right? Like 
I'm done. Like, we're never going to get to a yes with anyone ever. This company's going to go under da 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 da. And to be clear, I was looking for equity investment, not a loan. Just that was my analogy. But so, you know, you have that reaction um, and you have to fight it, right? And you smile and, and you say thank you. And I just use it as an opportunity. When they'd say no, I would just ask them why, <laughs> you know? And, and, you know, VCs, bless their hearts, aren't, a lot of them aren't going to shoot you straight in that regard because they want to keep the option open and they want to be polite and like, ah, oh, you know, we just invested in a company, you know, like, but some of them would level with me and they'd be like, your turn's way too high, you know, or your, your unit economics don't work or you're not growing fast enough or whatever. Um, or I'm just freaked out because of what happened. Um, and so I got to, I got to a set of data that I felt like would help me figure out how to get there. And it was sort of like, okay, if I can like fit, get from A to B on LTV to CAC, and if I can get you know from L to N on ARR growth and whatever your metric is, then I can do it, right? And then if I can just get enough time to between you know kind of the past and now, then people do it. So I, I just would smile, I'd thank them, and I would just keep in touch with them. I'd send them. The ones I really wanted, I'd send updates, you know, just unsolicited. <laughs> Probably, you know, put me in spam, but, um, and built relationships. And, um, you know, the relationship, the other thing that's super important to mention is we did an internal round um, twice before we did an external round, which means that our current investors who had already put money in, put money in without someone new coming in, which venture investors don't like to do. Um, and they were, so that just came from building really strong relationships with my board and current investors and getting them super bought in. And they were bought in pretty quickly and believing. And then it was just harder to get someone from the outside bought in. So, I, you know, there's no magical formula. It's just building relationships, building confidence, and figuring out, like, where you're missing, right? Like, it's kind of like the swing coach thing that we talked a little bit about of just, like, figuring out what you're missing and improving it and and then you know eventually you can get to a yes yeah so for the as you were out um, soliciting new investors seems like they were kind of mostly focused on data and meeting certain acronyms and all of sure. that um, which is fine um, but also you're had to know, like, I'm awesome, my team's awesome, why can't you see that, right? Yeah. I can dashboard this and spreadsheet that, but, like, do you not see the sure. intangibles? Yeah. That is the most frustrating part because, you know, I, I, if you've ever read Peter uh, Thiel's book about uh, zero to one, he talks about having a secret, right? And, and most founders have a secret that they know about the world that nobody else knows. And, and then they go and prove that secret out in the form of starting a business and succeeding with it. And my secret was, this is an incredible market opportunity. Like I had been at a bunch of different SaaS companies and I knew what a really good one looked like and what a mediocre one looked like and what a bad one looked like. And I knew this was really good. It, it was a huge market with bad software. So um, that was kind of my first secret. And then the second secret was the team, right? Like I didn't walk into a really you know, bad situation there. I walked into an incredible situation. They'd hired a super talented chief product officer before me named Larry Furr. And then Jordan Ray was our CRO. I'm super, you know, been around forever and really talented person. And then we have, we had an amazing head of people in Camille Lewis. And then I was able to hire um, our head of finance, Allison Fuller from Vivint. 
and then head of sales, Nate Sof, and a bunch of other people. But like that team, I'd been, this was like my fifth SaaS company, and that team was as good or better than anyone I'd worked with. And so between those two secrets, I knew that we could do it, right? It's just, the thing is, it takes a while for the rest of the world to catch up. So it's super frustrating, because you wanna like grab people by the lapels and be like, you moron, listen to me. Like, I know this thing that you don't, just give me your money and I'll make you a lot, right? And I didn't do that, but um, it, it gives you that feeling, right? So you just, you know, you have to tell the secret through the data, right? And, and, and at a certain point, you know, we were able to do that. Yeah. So you're getting some wind in your sails with company culture, good communication, and making headway with investment, and obviously, like, morale, just the general feeling that all people feel is probably going up, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it ticked up. I, I think the, you know, the second NPS we did was, like, quarter later, too, and it was, like, 35 or something. So, And that was how all of our metrics were, like, the culture ones and then the business ones. They just started improving, right? And, you know, and it, it, it's really validating because... You, you know it's going to happen, but also until it happens, <laughs> it's still kind of, you know, a question of faith a little bit. And so you see that, and, and then I think, you know, our attrition stopped, right? People who, who stuck it out for that first two quarters were like, I think they might actually know what they're doing, speaking to the executive team, and I think we might actually pull this off, right? And then, you know, they started referring people, and we'd hire, you know, start hiring a little bit here and there, and NPS ticks up, and all of your metrics tick up. And there was never, for us, I know some companies have this like breakthrough moment where it's just flat and then the hockey stick kicks in. We never had that. It was just like every good thing just started going up and all the bad things started ticking down. Um, and, and you know, then it accelerates, but it's, it's just kind of, a, you know, day by day, week by week, month by month thing. And, um, and, and then, you know, that resulted in, you know, this really high NPS ultimately and, and the fundraise. Yeah. And so um, I imagine that core group that kind of stuck it out, um, that's something they can hang their hat on, right? Like um, we stuck it out and we, uh, we helped grow this back to where it was and beyond. Um, and so you've had to have made a lot of decisions, right, with product and when to raise, when to not. Um, how do you go about making the tough decisions, right? Because you're ultimately the, the buck yeah. stops with you. What's your internal decision-making process? Yeah. I mean, I would say that, number one, my, my decision-making process is I listen most, first and foremost. And I, I can't think of a major decision where someone who reported to me wanted to do a really key strategic thing, and I was like, no. Right there, my there might have there's sometimes a process where I'm like really, and we converse, and I'm pretty sure every single time they convince me, right? Like I don't, I just uh, I was just I just believe so firmly in the idea that the people who are closer to the problem and who have the subject matter expertise um, are the right ones to make the decision, and I think my job is to provide some challenging and some pushback and. And you know, kind of put them through their paces, but ultimately, like, you know, and sometimes you're just you can disagree. You know, reasonable minds can disagree, but even in those ones, I sort of feel like you kind of got to default to the person. You know, if it's a product decision, like your chief product officer needs to make that call ultimately, right? Now they need to get buy-in from everyone, including me. But um, 
And then on the fundraising thing, which is my deal, right? Like that's my responsibility. Um, you know, as much as I, as much as I'd like to say there's this process, like it's really hard. I liken it to you know when you like show up to the movies and you're a little late and it's like there's a parking spot at the very far end of the parking lot and you can take it or you can like gamble and hope maybe somebody left and you can park right next to the building. Um, but if you're wrong, it's gonna take you an extra 10 minutes. That's kind of what fundraising is like, right? Like you just don't know exactly when that right moment is and when the market's receptive and when you'll find someone, but you don't wanna wait too long either because you know if you burn cash, like that can get kind of hairy. So um, I had actually decided we weren't gonna raise this whole year. And then, you know, you know, to a point of internal decision making, I made like a decision. Yeah. And I said, we're not gonna do it, I don't think it's right. And then my board actually was like, why don't you just try? And, you know, again, there's that lizard brain reaction of like, cause I decided. And, you know, and then I was like, but why? Why wouldn't I? And so I did and it worked out great and I'm super stoked. So I think some combination of listening to other people and then making decisions, but revisiting your, Treating decisions as hypotheses, as opposed to seeing them as this like written in granite because I'm a leader type of thing, I think is pretty important. Yeah, and so the communication with the, the boots on the ground is going well. Um, you also have another assignment where you then have to go talk to the board, right? Um, and for a lot of folks that is a little bit of a gray and black area of like, how do you interact with the board? Do they yeah. tell you what to do? Do you just communicate? Yeah. So how does, how do your interactions with your board go? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because that's, that's, so I have, I had executive positions at various SaaS companies prior to Canopy, but that's, I think fundraising and board are the two things that were totally new to me. And so I was a little like, I didn't kind of know what I what I didn't know. So I actually went and met with a couple CEOs who I respected. And anytime you ask for advice, like you hear all these different things. And I gleaned some value. You know, some were like, don't tell them anything. You tell them what to do. And other people were more collaborative. And I'm a little more collaborative by nature. So that's kind of where we settled. But, um, you know, I, I think, um, and they're all different too, right? Like, depending on the kind of investor, like, you know, the the early stage venture folks, like, they care, but they also have, like, you know, they sit on 20 boards, right? Later stage, like our new investors, I mean, they sit on like three boards. So their appetite and ability to engage is greater. So I took the same approach I did with the employees, which is also scary to be like transparent to a fault. Something bad happens, I call them immediately and I wait till a board meeting. You know, we had an outage at a, like during tax season that really sucked. I like sent an email immediately and you know, Part of that is just the right thing to do. Part of it is it kind of like makes it their problem, you know, sort of like a, we're all in this thing together instead of you're the boss on high judging me. Yeah. Um, so, and then I, I just like to build relationships with them too, like on a personal level, like we talk a lot, sometimes we go to dinner, so everyone's different in that regard, but I just feel like that helps, you know, the interaction. Yeah, um, you can get more bees with honey than vinegar yeah. usually. Um, all right, so, as you guys look into you know this year and um, what you would like to accomplish, um, how do you view that as it pertains to like products um, and strategy? Are you guys long-term thinkers, short-term thinkers? Yeah. How do you develop that strategy? Yeah. So we we the the thing about the way we operate as a small venture-backed company is your 
your product strategy and your general strategy is so tied to your fundraising, right? Because it's just, that dictates what you can do and the kind of the period of time in which you can do it, right? And so, um, which is I think a little unique relative to a public company or even a small company that's, you know, maybe a you know, cash flow positive type of company. So once we kind of got the funding in, that allowed us to kind of finally say, all right, we're gonna think in a three-year time horizon, um, and, and, and this is the level of investment that we can put towards the product. And, you know, we have lots of temptations for distraction. We want to, you know, we could go international, or we get pulled into other verticals outside of a county, and we get leads from there, and let's go to Australia, and, you know, all this stuff. But I think, you know, we're, we're trying to be very disciplined and saying what we will do by extension, what we won't do. And for us, it's really just doubling down on that practice management software. And then we have another really cool product called Transcripts and Notices that goes well with that. And, I, and we've kind of said, I mean, who knows what the future holds, but for the next three years, we're just dialed in on those products for a certain segment of the market, which is like, you know, call five to 50 person accounting firms in the United States, right? And it just makes it easy to, avoid having all those discussions about the other stuff. Um, and so yeah, that's kind of, now it might change, but you know, at the moment that's, that's the next three years for us as a company. And that's liberating, right? In life in general, but like as a CEO, all right, there's the roadmap. Uh, we're not going to Australia. We're not gonna start making tacos. Like we're yeah. gonna focus <laughs> on this. Um, so then you, you know, you check the bank statement and you've got runway and all yeah. of that. Um, but it's pretty frothy out there with like people switching jobs every two seconds. <laughs> um, how is you know, the last, uh, you know, COVID aside, but just like the economics of this yeah. economy factored? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's challenging, honestly. Um, you know, having come up in my professional life I think in a time where it wasn't like this, right? And it's like, I used to get stoked about a, you know, three to 5% raise. I mean, if you got a three to 5% raise, it was like, woo, um, go home and, you know, celebrate, take the family to dinner. Um, and, you know, that's not, that doesn't cut it now in, in 2022. So, I mean, I think it, it, it's like anything, it's, it's actually a really good test case for this idea of like listening. Because because you you have this emotional reaction, you know, it's like, hey, we gotta like throw a lot of money to get this person to stay, and you have this reaction of like, how dare they, you know, and 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 then you you sound like you know, Grandpa Simpson, you know, Marty, you know, all that stuff, and then and then you try to go to the data, right? Which is like, I try to get over that reaction, and then I go to the data. And the data is pretty clear. It's like, oh wow, salaries everywhere are up. In tech, they're up even more. In Utah tech, they're up even more. So if we want to be competitive and we want to be the, you know, a place where awesome people can work, then we got to do it. And so we've done that um, and been able to retain lots of people. But yeah, we've had some people who've left for more money than we were comfortable giving. And, you know, it's a bummer and we're sad to see them go. And, um, you know, it's such a weird time in the world and in the economy that I don't, I don't know if that'll change or not, right? But we're just this tiny little ship on this really large economic ocean and you just kind of have to respond, right? And I think that if you get real dug in on stuff, then, you know, you just, you know, you, you could be right, but all your people, you'll be alone, so. 
You don't want that. No. Otherwise, you'll have to do everything. Exactly. I don't know how to code, so <laughs> be a problem. That'd be a problem. All right, I've got one more question, then we'll open it up to the audience. So um, you also do some angel seed investments, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so you're kind of at the same time raising money, running a company, <laughs> and then interacting with other entrepreneurs yeah. and CEOs. Uh, how does that help you as a CEO and as a uh, kind of chief fundraiser? Um, what do you enjoy about it and what do you look for? Yeah. I mean, I think it helps me because it, you know, fundraising is just basically telling a story, right? And that's, I think, the thing that I figured out in, in this last, you know, end of last year, and it took me kind of two years, was how do I tell this story? And I tried a bunch of different ways of telling the story that didn't work. Um, and I, we finally hit on a way to tell the story. And actually, I can't even take credit for it. It was our CRO, Jordan Ray's idea. And he just said, you got to tell it this way. Split the data this way. And I was, and I was like, oh, yeah, duh. And, and it was super effective. Um, and so I think anytime I get to hear someone else tell their story, I learn, learn a little bit right from it. Um, and then just selfishly, it's just fun. You know, like we're we're 125 people. You know, we're not in that like early, early. You know, find product market fit kind of thing, and scaling from five people to 10 to 20. And so I just like love it. It's super fun, super smart people. My pitch to them is always like, have someone like me on your cap table. Who I'm not a venture investor. I run a company. You can call me if you ever find a dead body in the basement, type of thing, you know. Um, and I'll t I can help you tell you, you know, what I would do as opposed to, you know, your board member and investor. So it's been super fun, and I just love this ecosystem, which you guys have done an amazing part in fostering. Um, it's just fun to be a part of an ecosystem and be supportive of those next companies. Like you, you know, ten years ago, nobody knew who Lucid was, right? And look at him now. And so it's, it's fun to be at that stage and, th and dream, right? That in 10 years, maybe, you know, Nursa, who I invested in, or um, Giddy, who I invested in, you know, maybe they'll be Lucid or more, right? So it's just kind of a personal thing that's fun. Yeah, keeps you sharp. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Um, we have a microphone in the back. Raise your hand if you've got questions up here in the front. Well, uh, thank you for coming. Uh, really, uh, I've uh, watched your company for the last few months since I came to Utah, so it's really a pleasure to meet you in person. Thanks. My question is, um, all CEOs are so busy. I don't care if it's small or huge companies, right? And so seeing you come and take a couple hours out of your day to come here, my question is, I don't, I don't know how to phrase it. In the, I don't, kind of like what's in it for you. What are you looking <laughs> to accomplish sure. by taking two very important yeah. hours to come and speak to us. Sure. Well, number one, there was lunch, right? So I love J-Dogs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, your job as the CEO is to tell the company's story, right? And you tell it to investors, and you tell it to employees, and then you got to tell it to the public, right? And within the public, you know, I think of everyone as a prospective employee or client, right, at the end of the day. And, you know, in this context, it's mostly, you know, people who hopefully at some point, you know, could come and work at Canopy. And so I, I think, you know, that's, 
And it's been harder to do that in COVID. I started November of 2019, and then of course COVID hit a couple months later. And so it's been harder to do that. So one of my goals this year is just to get out there more and tell the story. And I've worked for some CEOs who are so good at that, and it makes a real difference. Like I worked at Peak where Rizwana Bashir is the CEO. I mean, nobody tells the company story in public better than she does, and it's a huge strategic competitive advantage for them. It drives tons of recruiting, it drives tons of fundraising, and it, you know, she's just good at it and it matters. So I think that's kind of how I justify it. Hey, so my question is, you talked about finding your story and how you tell it. So my question is, how do you know okay, I've arrived, this is the perfect way for us to tell our story. Yeah, so number one, I should say it's, it's, it's you know, probably not this like binary moment where like the angels sing, you know, because it's, it is iterative. Like I, I have a pitch deck, right? And I, and I tweak it constantly. Um, every time I show it to someone, I'm, I think, ooh, that's like could be better, that's a little different or whatever. Um, but I think most of it is in the reaction <laughs> that you're getting, right? Where, where, you know, depending on the audience, you know, sometimes you have data, right? So it's like with employees, it's like I have an, an employee NPS that's going up. So they're reacting well to the story that I'm telling about why working at Canopy makes sense for them. Uh, on, on a fundraising basis, proofs in the pudding, right, where it's like, a term sheet <laughs> and and so I think now there's smaller data points along the way right I can you can just like once you're in a fundraising process you can tell the difference between polite like denial you know like oh thank you so much that's really interesting let me talk to my partners but you're like you're absolutely not going to talk to your partners you just hit delete on my email and you deleted my email from your contacts to like oh wow like when are, when are you thinking of closing this? And, you know, like, so you, you just learn from those cues, depending on the context, if the story is landing or not, right? And, and so I guess I would say in the long run, proof's in the pudding, because you succeed or not, whatever, whatever the metric is, but there's data along the way if you're carefully looking for it around, you know, am I getting there or not? Right, and I noticed a gradual thaw from the investors I was speaking with from like January of 2020 to October of 2021, which is when we got our Series BB term sheet. There was just this gradual thaw in how they were reacting to me um, that I, was pretty perceptible. So I think it's just, you gotta watch for it and, and look for as much feedback from others in the system and data as you possibly can. Hey, thank you, Davis. Um, so if you've never done fundraising before, where do you start? Where do you start? Um, well, here's what I would say. I think people, and, and I, I'm gonna threaten my job security here, because it's not, in one sense, it's not as hard and scary and mystical as it sounds. Like I've talked to people who have really great ideas and they're just put off by, because they're intimidated by the thought of raising money. And they're like, I don't know anyone. I didn't go to HBS. I didn't, you know, like I wasn't an intern. I didn't work at one of the couple of handful of companies that everyone knows. And um, so I would absolutely encourage anyone who's feeling like that to not feel that way. Um, because there is, a, there is a process you can follow that anyone can follow that you can make you successful at it. Now, 
obviously seed stage fundraise is very different from what we were doing as a more established company, but I would just say I've watched tons of people go through that process. I've advised people as they've gone through that process and invested in people as they've gone through that process. And I guess at a high level, I would just say, number one, it's about just being super scrappy um, and getting in front of people. Like you're gonna email XYZ venture investor and they're not gonna respond. They're, you know, they're not gonna respond and they're not gonna respond and you just gotta keep at it and you find someone you know on LinkedIn who knows them or someone who knows someone who knows them on LinkedIn or someone who knows them who know, and and if you go at that you'll get in front of them right it's just they get 500 emails a day and tons of pitches and also they're sort of like look I get all this inbound so I'm just going to kind of let figure out who wants it the most and who's going to talk climb to the top of the grease pole a little bit right and and so which makes sense right um so I would say number one is just persistence and like don't take no for an answer in terms of getting in front of someone, right? Like if, if you get in front of them, they're like, no, then temporarily take no for an answer, right? But then, you know, ask, like, why not? And press them for honesty. Um, and then I would just say that the other thing is talk to a, a bunch of other people. People reach out to me on LinkedIn all the time around, will you spend a half an hour with me on this? I always say yes. And not everyone does that, but tons of people do that. Like you'd be surprised by, you know, go look at, there's a bunch of lists on LinkedIn of the 100 companies in Utah that raise money. Go find the CEO of each of them, ping them on LinkedIn and just say, don't do the lunch thing. I personally, it's like, uh, that's a long time and you might be weird. So I don't know if I wanna do lunch with you, but like I'll do a 30 minute Zoom call with you for sure. And so just say, and, and just say, tell me how you did it, have specific questions, and here's what I'm thinking, send them a deck, I get so much feedback on decks, and, and then also say, can you introduce me to people? And again, sometimes I'll say no, but you know, anyone who I've seen do that has over time been successful in raising money. Um, so, and I'm happy to talk to you more about it, but you know, don't be intimidated by it, keep at it, and then get tons of feedback and ask people for advice and help. One more. Uh, thanks for the question. Good to meet you, Davis. I've followed you on LinkedIn for a while. Um, you have, so this is an organizational question. Uh, I see that you have a pretty rigorous operational background, and I'm curious uh, your view of uh, operational leadership in a startup to, you know, manage that chaos, especially as you scale from, you know, 20 employees to 100 um, I see startups that don't invest in the COO role or mm -hmm. like a director or VP yeah. of operations. I would love your perspective on uh, your views on like centralized operations in a, mm -hmm. in a startup and the benefits or yeah. pros and cons of that. Yeah, that's a great question. So here's kind of how I think about it. I think, I think of, like if you think of a startup like a child, you know, you're not going to like go to your one-year-old and demand that they read or, you know, be able to like eat a steak with a, you know, a fork and knife. And so I think, and I've been at all different stages, right? I've been at companies with 20 people and companies with a thousand people. And I think it's probably one of the hardest things to get right because structure, too little and it blows up and too much it suffocates the flame, right? And so, you know, I, I don't have an easy answer other than 
to just think in increments of like a year or two, which is kind of how we do it. And you know, someone the other day was like, hey, what are you thinking about a COO? We don't have COO. And it's like, well, I have an operational background. We have super strong executives in the areas that are typically you know, roll up to a COO, like finance and you know, uh, uh, HR and those kinds of things. So I was like, I don't, I don't see a need for it now. But um, I've seen other places that did it way too late and it really costs them, right? Like even companies with crazy product market, maybe even especially companies, crazy product market fit, and maybe it's like a founding team that isn't as experienced. Um, in that case, yeah, absolutely. Go find a legit COO who's been there and done that a bunch of times and who is gonna create some discipline and some structure and some process. Um, so case by case, but take it by stages, I guess. And you know, don't get the, you know, there's some people who come in and suffocate it. And you gotta stay away from those folks. Very cool. These were great questions. Congrats, everyone, for really good questions. Thank you so much, Davis. Congrats yeah. on uh, the success that you guys have had. Um, it's been fun to watch, and uh, appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys.